Welcome to Lifeology. I am James Miller, your host and a licensed psychotherapist. I'm looking forward to spending this time with you as we learn some pretty amazing life lessons. Let's get started. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to this show. When you're done listening, I hope you take a minute and write a quick review on whichever radio or podcast platform you've heard this show. Your insights will help others to be inspired and encouraged. I have a great show for you today. I'll teach you how stereotyping and prejudice creep into your life. I'll also be interviewing thought leader and humorist, Kareth Foster. Kareth shares her passion for entertaining and critical thinking across the country. From the airwaves to organizations, from universities to corporations, she has created a seismic shift in mindset by addressing issues of free expression, diversity, and inclusion. For more information about Kareth, please visit kareth.com. Thank you so much for listening to Lifeology. I would love to connect with you. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. I am also very active on Instagram and create many videos with quick tips and tools that you can immediately implement. Be sure to say hello and follow me there. If you're anything like me, you love to read. Lifeology and Audible.com have partnered to offer you an incredible opportunity. Audible is offering you one free book download with a free 30-day trial. This is perfect for those of you who love to read but often don't have time to enjoy your favorite pastime. Go to jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash audible to start your free trial. They have over 180,000 books from all genres, so I'm pretty confident your favorite author's books will be there. Go to jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash audible and start listening to your favorite book today. Once again, go to jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash audible to get started today. Stereotyping and prejudice. In psychology, we teach that whatever you perceive to be true, in other words, what you focus on determines what you feel. What you feel determines how you respond. And that's related to what's called a thinking error. There are 15 common thinking errors that we all tend to use. What a thinking error basically is, is when you look at something or perceive something, it's like a filter that goes over those thoughts. And as it goes over those thoughts, it changes the perspective about what's really happening or how we see it, which then affects what we feel. And then our feelings then determine what we do. So anytime there's a negative interaction, either within yourself or with someone else, you have used a thinking error. One of those thinking errors is called global labeling. Global labeling is essentially just stereotyping. The problem is the majority of us think we're not prejudiced at all or we don't have any stereotypes. And more than likely that's true in your conscious mind, but unfortunately in your subconscious mind, there is a form of global labeling that you do. Now, it doesn't mean you act on that, but it does affect how you see the world and how you feel about certain people. We will often see this in movies. Typically, you'll find that people are broken up into different types of groups. There are the jocks, the nerdy kids, the band kids, the theater kids, the quote loser kids. Unfortunately, society has taught us to label people based off of how they look or perhaps where they live, how they dress, how they worship. And because of this, if it's somewhat different than who we are, we automatically assume that everyone who may look like that or who may dress like that or who may worship like that are a certain way. And because of that, we don't give people the benefit of the doubt. We automatically separate ourselves from them, or we assume something about them that is probably not true. Have you ever noticed how you interact around certain people? If you're walking down the street and a certain type of person walks by you, 
How do you respond? That would be my challenge for you today. Be mindful of the immediate thoughts or immediate feelings you have when someone walks by you or drives by you or you happen to see them on the street. The whole point of this lesson is to give you insight and awareness of how global labeling creeps into your life. Doesn't matter how kind you are. The point is, once we understand how global labeling affects our thoughts, it gives us the opportunity to challenge that belief system. When you allow people to be individuals and not a group of people, you'll be able to make your own distinction, whether they're a person you want to get to know or not. I find this to be very exciting because the more awareness you have and allow people to prove who they are individually, you'll find that the world is full of amazing, wonderful people. I have a fantastic interview with Kareth Foster. She teaches you about inclusivity and gives you the tools to create dialogues with people who may seem different than you. So stay tuned. Are you an expert in your field or an author who wants massive exposure? I am now looking for self-development experts to be a promotional guest on Lifeology. Currently, Lifeology has an average listenership of over 3 million people per episode. If you are ready to invest in your brand and promote yourself on Lifeology, then apply today. Simply go to jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash guest and apply for this opportunity. This is only for a limited time and only a select few will be chosen. So if you're ready to reach a global audience, then apply today. Simply go to jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash guest to apply. My guest today is Kareth Foster, who is a diversity engagement specialist, humorist, and author whose signature programs are impacting lives at academic institutions, organizations, and corporations across America in a time when humor, understanding, acceptance, and respect are so desperately needed. She builds a true connection to her audiences, providing individuals with not only information about diversity, but simple ways to promote inclusion in their daily lives. Kareth leaves each of her audiences feeling inspired and encouraged to commit to a journey to find mutual respect, acceptance, and a greater sense of belonging. Welcome to my show, Kareth. Thank you, James. Thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure. Yes, I'm really looking forward to this. We, uh, we know that our, we have a mutual um, agent that we work with. And when he told me about you, my original thought was, oh, it'd be great to have a comic on my show. But the more I read about you, I was like, okay, this woman is incredible. She has done so many things. And I love how you bring humor as part of your platform to really inspire and help people to be motivated to who they truly can become. Thank you. Well, you know, my belief is if you can laugh at something, you can mm -hmm. get through it. Yeah. And actually, the motto of the nonprofit I started Frame is laugh, think, grow. Because oh. I truly believe, especially when you're you're speaking about taboo subjects, mm -hmm. subjects that can make people uncomfortable, put them on the offense or the defense, uh, using humor can neutralize sure. that space mm -hmm. so that you can have the real conversations you need to. Because you, we still have to talk and communicate. Because yeah. if we shut that down, like there's no moving forward. Mm -hmm. There's no progress that can happen. And that stifles a lot, yeah. um, you know, as far as, you know, where we're going as society. You know, there are a lot of things we don't want to talk about, but it, not talking about it doesn't make it go away. Exactly. Well, I really like that because, like you said, humor itself, I mean, that that is a, we all experience that. We all want humor. We want something. So to create, like you said, to create that neutral territory to, uh, to have people experience the same emotion, then yes, it does create a joined platform. Especially now, you know, nowadays with the world is just so divisive and so many things, and it's so unfortunate. One thing about my show with Lifeology is I really try and help people say we all experience the same type of emotion. The way that life rolls out or the experiences that we have may be different, 
but our emotions and how we feel are all the same. And that's really how lifeology was created because someone who may look different than me or someone who may have different experiences than me, if I have a certain thought like, oh, they're different, but the truth is we're not because we all feel the same thing. That, and that's exactly the messaging behind. So I, I coined the phrase inversity, right? Oh, I, I like actually that. trademarked the word. Um, nice. Because, you know, when I work in the realm of diversity and inclusion, which is what my life path has led me mm-hmm. to do, um, what I realized is the way we were addressing DNI, as they call it, or DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, while I really truly want to believe it's been well intentioned. Yeah. It's just been done poorly Mm -hmm. and it's been done to the effects of creating more division, more polarization, because you're making people either pick a side or putting them into a category. It's very black black and white. (laughs) Exactly. You're either a victim or you're a villain. And Mm -hmm. who wants to be either of those? Right. So the idea behind adversity is that it's still a nod to acknowledging the differences Mm -hmm. and respecting our, our experiences that, you know, we come from different places, we look differently, we love differently, we vote differently. But it's more about what do we have in common? How can we be truly inclusive of one another? But most importantly, and to your point, how can we be introspective, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning understanding your value, your worth, your connection to humanity. Because if you can see that in yourself, then you can see it in someone else. And I, I think that's absolutely, absolutely beautiful. I, first off, I love that word. That's a brilliantly, brilliantly done. But it's, it's true in, this, in the respect of, in, in, let me back up. In psychology, we have what's called a dialectic. It's a fancy word to basically say two, two polarized things can exist at the same time, but be mutually exclusive, but mutually connected. And so I really like what you're saying as well is people can have completely different viewpoints and, and understanding, and they're both 100% true, but they still exist in the same plane and learning how to do that in a harmonious way is so important absolutely and what better way than to do it with laughter Mm -hmm. and humor because you know i i see these programs that have been done for years and decades and and listen it's a multi-billion dollar year business okay let's not kid ourselves but who wants to be lectured at who wants to be talked down to who wants to be made to feel guilty or like you know they they've caused the situation nobody but if you can use humor to not just lighten the 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 mood um you can use it to to almost like a trojan horse you know kind of get in there (laughs) and get people like relaxed enough to be like you know what i never thought about it like that before that's a really good way of putting it you know oh maybe i wasn't thinking about this the right way maybe i can change how i see Mm -hmm. myself or someone else yeah and it's so powerful i was watching your tedx talk uh, i think it was lincoln center was it when you were talking about the stereotypes Mm -hmm. Um, and you were Mm -hmm. talking about your parents uh beautiful pictures of them first off when you were saying how they were trying to find homes uh, or trying to find a place to live um Mm -hmm. and they couldn't because for one they didn't sound black and then when they would show up, then all of a sudden people would treat them a certain way and different. How did their life experience and, and all the, I guess, all the stereotypes that they experienced, how did that impact you to be able to have your platform today? So, you know, it's funny. I, I was an adult before I realized mm-hmm. it was a year before my, after my parents got married that they actually got to live together. Because oh, that's really? where you're, you're referring to, the TEDx talk. It was 1967. My father was a captain in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. And they had just gotten married and they got to the base, but there wasn't any room on the base. So um, when my dad moved my mom out there, so they went, you know, searching for houses or apartments off base. And because they sounded much like I do, mm-hmm. um, they would call and everyone would be like, oh, yeah, come on over. And then they'd show up and they, they're these black, brown people. And oh, no, no, Montana 1967. Okay. <laughs> but the thing about my parents 
what's so beautiful about them is that, you know, they didn't grow up with like a chip on their shoulder. Uh -huh. They grew up understanding that, you know, I mean, my mom used to go to South Carolina as a child and see the water, the segregated water fountain. You know, mm -hmm. she, my dad took my mom to Myrtle Beach for her 70th birthday because when she was a little kid, they weren't allowed to go there. Oh my gosh, um, So they grew up in that world. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? That is beautiful. But they grew up in that world, but they, it wasn't something that they, you know, they, they put on us as, you know, we had to go through this life as, you know, people are evil. It's this was what we had to go through. So please understand that you may face the same bias, yeah. but you don't have to fall into that category. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be someone who, who that's your only drive. Right. And so I grew up in a very diverse neighborhood in the very beginning. I was born in Denver and literally the people next to us were white. The people on the other side were Mex Mexican. The people catty corner was a mixed race couple. People across the street were black. The people and the cul-de-sac were Chinese. Like it was, it was like the, like mm. real life Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so I didn't know that. Like I didn't even realize there was anything different about me until we moved to Texas, where yeah. I was like the only black person yeah. in my class. I saw all your pictures. Uh, and that was <laughs> <laughs> that was from second second grade all the way through yeah. my my freshman year of college. I was the only black person in my dorm wow, at the wow. school I attended. And that was my normal. And what I realized is that for everybody, every one of us, we have our, our, our version of what is normal, mm -hmm. right? And then at some point that prism of normal has to shift and change. Whether so that normal was being in a really diverse area and then going to someplace where there's nobody who looks like you or being the only one, the mm -hmm. only Jewish person, the only gay person, mm -hmm. um, the only you know person of color, at, or, and then you're, you're you're with a group of people that's multi. I mean, that's why I gravitated toward Washington D.C. Mm -hmm. and New York. Yeah, because I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much more than what I was exposed to. That's an amazing thing, you know, especially coming from a place of such diversity, and then all of a sudden being the only person who may look different. I mean, there's so many life lessons that come along with that, and that can be, you know, like we said, someone has a different religion or someone looks different or whatever it may be. I was watching you also um, on Fox News, and I've seen you on all these different things, and I love how. You are so you have this ability to to transcend once again stereotypes, but just the ability to to help people say that that may be different than you or may look different than you, but you find that platform and they hear it and they're able to listen to it. So I don't know if that's just a natural gift that you have, which I'm assuming it is, and obviously a craft that you've oh, known for right. so long. But but it was such a beautiful thing. And I, you know, even looking at some of your audiences, there was there was not much diversity in some of your, in your audiences, but they were there to listen to you and to hear what you had to say. Right. And, you know, just like I said in the intro, you inspire them to say, wow, I didn't realize that. So kudos to you for that. So thank you for opening up that door for all of us who may be different to be able to have a platform just like well, yours. Thank you. Thank you so much. That means a lot. And, and it is by design. You know, I mean, I what's funny is you talk about like my childhood, like I did struggle. Mm -hmm being the only one feeling like I, you know, I, I used to call it being caught between two worlds, you know, being told yeah. I wasn't black enough by my yeah. black friends, sometimes even family. Right. But then I wasn't white. So I didn't really fall in. So where did I belong? Where did mm -hmm. I, and the more I speak around the country, the more I speak at schools, I'm learning, like, I'm not the only person who felt that way. And so to be able to be this leader someone who got through it and got to the other side is really helpful and inspirational. Mm -hmm. But I also like, you know, there are certain people who are like, how could you go on Fox News? Because they're very um, much opposed to the messaging sometimes. And my my point is that it's not, I'm going on there as myself. Mm -hmm. My only agenda is to bring people together. 
you know, I, I am not political. My organization is not partisan. Same I'm actually me. very much an independent. I am um, as well. <laughs> but the idea is, <laughs> you know, if we don't expose people uh-huh. to each other, then how do we possibly expect to have unity? Yeah, because there, there needs to be that understanding of, you know, there, there's that partisan aspect when it comes to politics, but just the understanding, it allows for our country to grow even more and be much more well-balanced as opposed to completely polarized versions of it. And then all these, these disparity and all these different types of, unfortunately, hatred that can be populated and, and all the propaganda that comes along with it. Speaking of that, you were on, was it the Don Imus show? Yes, I was. Wow. <laughs> Is it what? too early to drink? <laughs> I know, <right>? <laughs> <laughs> That's hysterical. It's just coffee. It's just coffee. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I, when I was reading that, I was like, oh, okay, how does this, how did this play out? And so why don't you give us a little bit of your backstory on that? And then obviously what happened when you sure. made your choice, but. It's funny. I was just writing about this. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I didn't really know much about him. Uh-huh. Um, I knew my grandmother had listened to him. Like that's how old the man was. Um, but. I, it wasn't until he made news, like was in the headlines for the disparaging remarks he made about the Rutgers women's basketball mm-hmm. team. Um, I, I refer to it now as Nappy Gate. Um, yeah. But it was a situation where it was, and I, like as somebody who is an advocate for speech, free speech, as someone who is a comic, like I completely understand how it happened. Like I truly do. When you are on the air, you're a comedian, you're trying to be funny, and there's something this terminology called riffing, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're just like pulling stuff and trying to, you know, and it usually works better when you're in an audience, but you don't know what's going to work and what doesn't. The problem was he he really, and, and this isn't defending him, but he did not know the language he was using. He, he called, just for reference, he called the women nappy-headed hoes, oh. which is not something you say about black women you don't talk about their hair if you know what's good for you (laughs) (laughs) and you don't call i mean these are basically children i mean they were they're in college they're young women Mm -hmm. who did not ask for you know being put in a spotlight like that and to be called a hoe i mean that's just it it just wasn't it wasn't appropriate beyond it like and that's an understatement exactly yeah yeah of course the problem was he was doing it trying to be funny he was actually if you listen parodying his producer um, and if you knew the man, I mean, I think he had three friends total, none of whom were black. So he didn't have anybody who could be like, Hey, let me put you in check. Exactly, yeah. Not okay. <laughs> right. So it was the perfect combination of a really inappropriate thing to say, a really slow news day. And it just, you know, it blew up. And I will never forget when I heard it on the news. Um, it was the day of my uncle's funeral. Mm. And I just remember thinking it was so prophetic. God, I should have been there. I should have been there. And not six months later, I get a call from a guy who I'd done comedy for years prior. Hey, Kareth, you interested in a radio TV opportunity? And I was like, "Uh, of course. (laughs) By the way, it's with Don Imus. (laughs) I'm like, the Don Imus? And I I had to really, really have a a bit of a come to Jesus Mm -hmm. meeting with myself. Like, is this something I want to take on? Um, You know, A, will I be considered a sellout? Right. For joining forces with one of the most reviled men Mm -hmm. in media. Or is this an opportunity to do what I was kind of talking about earlier, to to show another side, um, to be the anti-stereotype of what we see of black women in the media, you know, to represent a group of underrepresented people in a really positive manner. And when I did went when I went to speak with him and, and we met and. He, he said he wanted to, you know, come back on the air, have a national dialogue about race in America. 
he was very contrite and sorry for what he said. And I, I did believe that. I mm-hmm. really did. Um, because I don't think he was intentional with it. I really yeah. don't. Not that that made it hurt those young sure, women any course, less. Yeah. But I do think you have to take into consider the intention mm-hmm. behind people and what they say yeah. and do. Um, and so I, I said yes. And I, I, I was on air with him for two or three years of my contract. And what's interesting is what he did was a faux pas, absolutely. But there was another layer to him. And unfortunately, I think the best way to describe it is that he was someone who was just damaged. Um, you know, he was, well, to the day he died, you, I think you always will be an alcoholic and a drug addict if you never seek help. Did he stop drinking and doing drugs? Absolutely. Um, but he himself, you know, said he was a dry drunk, which is someone who never Uh, went through the 12 steps, who never did any type of recovery. He just stopped cold turkey. So what we were dealing with was someone who had the manic episodes Mm -hmm. of an addict. And I'd never been exposed to anything like that um in any of my relationships and so it was very foreign for me and to see you know what's interesting is when people have addictions you know this as a as a psychologist mm-hmm. um you know it, it's almost like they're they're whatever they're doing they're hurting themselves and if it can't like you can only put so much inward yeah. and then it goes outward mm-hmm. and what i saw was a lot of it going outward um and i mean i saw treatment of human beings that I just, I wouldn't have not, I wouldn't have believed if I hadn't seen it firsthand. And wow. then I was on the receiving end of it, wow. which was hard. Yeah. Um, well, how did, it, I, well, if I can stop for one second, how did yeah. you, every time you would see that and you would feel that and he would you'd be on the receiving end of that, what was your self-talk like? How did you get through that? Well, I thought it was my fault in the beginning because oh. this was so new for me. Yeah. And I've it's never his been, show and he's the expert. Right. Yeah, right. Well, that. he was, no, he wasn't just the expert. He was the king. Yeah. He was true, the yeah. president. Like he was writing my checks. Oh. Um, and and then, well, the weird part, and I know what's interesting after talking about this to more people is, you know, I'm not the only person who's gone through this either. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. there was, but there was no HR in this situation. You know what I mean? There was nobody I could go to and say, hey, because everybody was like, well, that's just who he is. He's just a jerk. Mm-hmm. You just move on. You just, and I'm like, but how is this acceptable? How is that? Like, I, to me, it was just so inhumane. And Yet people put up with it. But then you see now like the larger stories of like yeah. the Harvey Weinsteins, mm-hmm. right? People who knew what this person did. And it was acceptable because he made money. He was the cash yeah. Yeah. cow, you know, or the golden goose. And and that to me was very disappointing. Um, and the thing is, it's not always on that level. Like I'm sure there are people who are in janitorial jobs who have bosses that are abusive. Yeah. But because they need that job, mm-hmm. they can't say anything. They can't do anything. And, and uh, you know, for a lot of people, like for me, for the longest time I did, I thought it was my fault. I thought, you know, maybe if I just do this differently, like I went into yeah. victimhood, like mindset, mm-hmm. if I just say this or do this, then I'll make it better. And something, and what was worse is there were really good days. Ah, uh, see, there, there that is, yeah, days, that's the cycle know? of, yeah, cycle yeah, of abuse. Yeah, yeah of course. but I didn't know that because mm-hmm. I didn't grow up with that. And so I... I left, um, like I said, two years into the three years of my contract on the verge of a nervous break. I remember thinking I'm either going to Bellevue or Bali. <laughs> yeah, <wow>. And <laughs> I was fortunate enough to have, because I'm like, if I'm putting that kind of money, I'm going to the place pretty. So I, I went to Bali. That's better than Bellevue. That's for sure. <laughs> it's way better than Bellevue. <laughs> and funny. I just, I had to regroup and yeah. I had to get myself back. And I kind of just immersed myself in this spirituality and taking care of Kareth and repairing myself. And so much came out of that. 
And I lecture every year at Stanford um, Graduate Business School on a course on reputation management. And I talk about how I went in to help him redeem and repair his reputation, but ultimately had to save mine because yeah. of my affiliation. And oh, that's a good point. Yeah. I, I get asked every year, so would you, if you had to do it all over again, would you? And the answer is yes, I would. Would I take it as personally? Absolutely not. Sure. Absolutely not. But I was so young. I yeah. didn't know any better. But it was a great, almost rite of passage, right? Because here's the thing. I think when you go through something that is very difficult in life, when you have a struggle, when you have, um, and it doesn't always have to be abuse, and hopefully it sure. isn't, but you know, I think when we have challenges, like that builds us up yes, and that does. strengthens us. And I think, you know, to think that you should go through life without any, um, any challenges, without anything that like rocks your boat, like that's, that's just desperately, that's a, a desperate um, misconception of what life yeah. is. Well, you know, one of the things that I always say is things are either a stumbling block or they're a stepping stone. When every opportunity arises, we have the self-responsibility to say, I don't like this. I don't appreciate it. I don't, I'm not okay with it. But what do I do with that? So once we have that aha moment to say, these are the facts as they are, what do I do? And in that moment, that's where that internal strength comes. That's where that resilience comes. That's where that ability to say, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I'm going to do something. And in that, that is my focus. And so as you have that focus, it starts to say, well, maybe this opportunity opens up or this opens up. And pretty soon when you use it as that launch pad, it really catapults you into the focus and into the direction that your life should go or will go. I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. And, you know, and it was because of that, that experience mm -hmm. and be, having gone through that, that gave me a new sense of, of, of conscious empathy is yeah. what I call yeah. it. Because I say I want people to care, right? And that stands for conscious empathy, active listening, responsible reactions, and environmental awareness. I love that. And it wasn't long after I left IMIS that I was just kind of recovering. Um, and that was a good two-year process, no lie. Um, but there was an incident that happened at Rutgers University. Ironically, it was another Rutgers affiliation, and a young man by the name of Tyler Clementi took his life by jumping off the George Washington oh Bridge gosh. after being outed by his roommate and some classmates. They secretly recorded him in an intimate situation, and oh, I just I heard of that. I did hear about that. Yeah, yeah, it was I remember horrible. that. Yes. it was horrible. And it, like, I, you know, I'm someone who I'm literally a friend to all. Like, I have so many friends who just run the gamut from like really like right wing <laughs> like conservatives to you know transgender yeah. liberal like i that's just who i am like yeah. i i love you for who you are um that's and beautiful. it it just broke my heart that anybody could feel that alone or ostracized for who they were yeah. and i remember thinking i have to do something about this and that was the inception that was the start of stereotype 101 which is the programming that mm -hmm. i take and mm -hmm. i started taking to schools and universities but realized that there was a larger audience at hand there was corporate yeah, america course, yeah. and true. eventually i'd like to go backwards and start even younger because as someone who has small kids you know i don't think you can start soon enough yeah, with the message of inclusion agree. and adversity yeah. Well, Kurt Foster, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on my show today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join with us, to inspire us, and to leave us with a message that we are all the same and we all have a beautiful, wonderful story to tell. So thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you so much. I also want to thank you, my listener, for tuning in today. 
Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you join me today. Also, please go to my website where you may sign up for the free weekly recap, watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, and purchase my previous guests' self-help products. If you'd like to work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.